This week's episode is going to be the first replay that we've had on the show um, since we launched uh, last August. And that is because I have a culmination of lots of things going on in my life right now that has prohibited me from recording a new episode. Um, So I'm playing back for you an old episode, um, Should I Transition? Uh, Question mark. And um, I may actually do a follow-up to this episode because I think that it um, is an important question, um, especially for a lot of um, the listeners of the show who are thinking through these things uh, for themselves. Um, It is one of the more popular episodes that have been published so far. And uh, so I'm going to go ahead and replay it, and hopefully you'll appreciate it. And I should be back next week uh, with new content. Um, And also, I will be freshly graduated. I have a busy, busy week with a comprehensive exam um, for my uh, therapy degree and uh, just lots of other housing project stuff and just crazy, crazy piles of things. So... Um, I will be back with you next week. Thanks for bearing with me and for your uh, encouragement and advice and ideas as always. Um, Speaking of which, if you have any ideas uh, for the show or things that you'd like to hear this transgender woman talk about, uh, I would love to hear from you. Um, Just shoot me an email at twatpodcasting at gmail.com. And uh, I will write you back. Um, Thanks a lot. And uh, here's the show. My name is Elle. And I'm a transgender woman talking about how I decided to transition. The question, should I transition? Or how do I know if I should transition? Or how do I make this choice of whether or not to do it is one that a lot of trans people face, but especially, I think, older trans people. Um, You know, for folks who have been around and who have lived, you know, a big portion of their lives um, as the gender that they were assigned um, as children, um, a lot of times when they come out later as adults or sort of do this work later as adults, um, they have a lot of baggage that goes along with that. A lot of years of repressing, a lot of years of hiding, a lot of years of confusion and shame. And that certainly was the case for me. And so even though the question maybe for some people might seem obvious, well, if you're trans, of course you should transition. Um, It's not so obvious. if you're an actually a trans person who is an adult and even for someone who's younger um, might struggle with, um, you know, like culturally, I think about the conversation around, um, you know, younger people transitioning and uh, worries about, you know, uh, permanent physical changes. Um, which I think are largely overblown, but that's not he, that's neither here nor there. Um, but you know, um, the the question it's it's it, it might seem like it's just obvious, but when you're actually living it, 
uh, it's a little bit more complex than that. So um, today I want to talk a little bit about uh, the ways that I made that decision for me. And uh, perhaps if you're in a similar spot yourself trying to ask the question and figure out what you should or what you want to do next, this will be helpful to you. So for me, um, I had five different sort of axes uh, that I've called them uh, that I needed to get clarity on. And at the time when I was asking these questions actively, I was working with um, a trans woman who was kind of coaching me along in the process. We were meeting on a regular basis. I mean, for a long time, we met every week or even twice a week. And it was just, it was a really big, really important part of my life. Um, so uh, the, f- uh, the first element of those five axes that I needed to answer, uh, I needed to answer for me in order to know, um, you know, whether or not I should transition was, it had to do with my perceptions and it had to do with my uh, questions about whether or not I was actually perceiving myself accurately. You know, um, like I said, for especially for a trans person who was my age, I was, you know, 38 or 39 years old when I was really starting to ask these questions in earnest. Um, I wanted to sort of do a really intentional look and like our you know, are my feelings that I'm having, are they actually uh, gender dysphoria? Um, Do I actually, you know, do I actually want to transition? Um, Is my, are, um, you know, my, the ways in which I see myself as feminine and the ways in which I feel as though I don't fit in with, uh, uh, you know, masculine roles or expectations for for men um you know is that true is that real um so i'm a like a total nerd and i started to put together a spreadsheet i had a gender spreadsheet and it has many 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 tabs on it and i started taking notes um i had another document that is like a hundred pages long of just a list of observations from my life and from my history and things that had happened um, that um, had led me to think about my gender growing up. I actually, in the gender document that I went through, I worked on a Daria Hoffman Fox book, Your Gender Identity, which I recommend. And I'll put a link to in the show notes. But um, I went through her book and one of the activities that she had you do is is to go through different phases of childhood, ages three to five, ages six to nine, early puberty, ages 10 and 11, middle puberty, 12 to 17, uh, later adolescence, and so on. Um, and, and sort of ask the question, you know, what are the you know physical sensations I had related to gender? What gender-related memories do I have? What did I learn about gender rules? What thoughts and feelings? And um, so I'm a nerd and I built a spreadsheet and um, as I did that, the mountain of memories and thoughts and information um, was enormous. Um, 
you know, really, really significant amounts of gender-related memories, you know. Um, I have uh, just all kinds of stuff came up, and it was sort of like, oh, of course. You know, these thoughts about gender are not new. It's not like an obsession. It's like a continuing theme that I've come back to over and over and over again. And, you know, during different times in my life, I was able to sort of rationalize those thoughts away or rationalize dysphoria away or rationalize preoccupation with uh, trans people or thinking of myself as trans or thinking about transition. Um, You know, all of my experiences in isolation over time, I was able to rationalize away. And I had a lot of good reasons to rationalize it away. Um, But looking at all together, you know, the collective weight of all these things, um, it was just too much to, um, to ignore, you know? And, like, uh, like my emotional, um, like my internal emotional outpouring. It was like, once I started to admit these things out loud to my therapist and to my wife and so on, I just discovered a depth of emotion in my soul that had been repressed for so many years. Um, just layer after layer after layer, you know, memories of transphobia that I've had uh, that were really, really um, painful um, doing the, you know, the, like the matrix pill test, you know, if, if I could take a pill and wake up um, as a female, a cisgender female girl, would I do it? And the answer was unequivocally yes. Now, that's an interesting question. Uh, at this point, and maybe that will be, you know, a future episode of the podcast, because, you know, like I said, a few, uh, a couple of weeks ago, when I was talking about, you know, passing, I, my level of self-acceptance has really uh, grown. Um, anyway, so, um, and I'm actually writing that down. Aren't I a nerd? <laughs> um, uh, so, um, yeah, so the question of, of whether or not I'm perceiving myself ac- accurately was really important. And I needed to come to the place where, like, okay, this I'm not making this up. I'm not insane. This has been with me for, for a long time. Sure, I've repressed it. Sure, I've had transphobia. Um, you know, but this is just real. I have these thoughts. I have these feelings. I have these wants. And it's true. So that was the first one. Um, And so it's sort of like, okay, well, given that, um, knowing that I'm trans, knowing that this is what I think I want, um, I want to test it. Because, you know, like I mentioned before, I was so repressed and I was a pastor. And like I'll talk about in a moment, my whole life felt like it was at risk to even talk about these things. And so, um, of course, I had never tested it per se in private, you know, in, in, in any kind of public way. I mean, I had tried on women's clothes. I had, you know, whenever I would go on, well, not whenever, but 
there were times when I went on, you know, trips to different areas where I would, you know, go to a store and, and try on women's clothes in the dressing room or where I would sneak a dress in with my slacks and button up uh, Oxford shirts that I w- was at the store to actually buy. Um, you know, I, I was doing a little bit of testing, but nothing like enthusiastically, nothing openly, nothing without shame, nothing with the support of anyone in my life, not, nothing with my wife even knowing about it. Um, and so I needed to test that question. Like, what does it feel like to be perceived as a woman, to be treated as a woman, to present as a woman? And, you know, I suppose transphobic people would say, well, Pete, you're not actually being treated as a woman now. You're being treated as a trans person, which is a different category, and you're not really a woman and whatever. And, like, Obviously, I have those narratives of transphobia still stuck in my head, and I probably watched a little too much Matt Walsh. Um, But for what I was able to do at the time, you know, however many, it was two years ago probably, or a year and a half ago, um, I needed to test things. And so uh, we live up the road from Palm Springs, and so I would take my days off frequently and go to Palm Springs and, like, work from there on my day off (laughs) I would work in a coffee shop and you know work on um you know writing stuff like I said I was a pastor so I was writing sermons or sending emails or whatever but I was totally dressed up from head to toe in my feminine outfits I was wearing makeup um it was during the thick of the pandemic and so everyone was masked including me and that helped me feel more comfortable um but testing it was a really big component. What does this actually feel like? Do I even like it? Um, You know, it's sort of like, um, you know, before I did any real life experience with it, it was sort of like this fanciful question. Like, you know, should I, um, you know, should we adopt a unicorn? It's like, well, (laughs) you know, how, how do you even answer that? So, um, And, you know, I understand that for uh, a lot of trans people, these things may happen in different orders. You know, for some trans people, the testing piece um, happened in childhood or it happened a long time ago or or the perceptions piece. The same thing. It may be really old and they don't really have to go through the process of asking those. But for me, because of my religious upbringing, because of the family system and the um, like the larger, wider family system that I grew up in because of the small town I was in, I was so deeply ashamed of being trans. I had all of these internal hangups that kept me from really accessing it and doing anything with it. And so, um, so I had to do that testing. So that was the second one. Um, the third one, was a little bit more introspective. It was less action-oriented, I guess, more introspective like uh, like the first one. Um, but I needed to assess the losses, you know? Um, I needed to ask the question, like, is it is it too late for me? It, am I too old to do this? Um, is... 
has the boat passed? You know, like at that time, I had been a pastor for 20 years. I was ordained. I had a master's degree in that field. I was, uh, you know, in a fairly lofty place in the field. I was the lead pastor of a big church. I had, you know, sort of climbed the ladder to where I thought I had want to be and, and really where I did want to be. Like, you know, looking back, I don't think that I'm like a super amazing leader, <laughs> um, at least at the time, because I was really scared of people not liking me. And now I, you know, I'm a fucking transsexual and like, <laughs> Now, like a large swatch of the large swatch of the world hates me, so I I feel a lot more comfortable with people not liking me now. Um, but at the time, I I really struggle with that. So, but I loved preaching. I loved studying. I loved helping people. I loved counseling people and just blessing people. Um, and I didn't want to lose that. Um, uh, you know I given so much of my life to that work. And I knew that if I came out and transitioned, that I would lose it. That's how it works. I was in a conservative denomination. Labor laws don't protect pastors because of separation of church and state. And so they were perfectly within their legal rights to fire me after I let them know that I was planning on transitioning, which is exactly what happened. Um, and so I really needed to go through the process of, you know, attending to that loss. I needed to go through the process of attending to, um, the fact that I was 39 and that I was feeling regret and wishing that I had done all this sooner and sort of coming down hard on myself for, um, you know, wasting, essentially, in my mind, like wasting years, wasting time that I could have been essentially like being honest. Um, so uh, one of the things one of my therapists said, you know, at the time about that is that, you know, if you would have, you could have, or if you could have, you would have, if you could have, you would have. And, you know, you're doing it now because you can now and you're able to now and you didn't do it before because you weren't able before. You're you're doing it when you're ready to do it. And, you know, that was really comforting to me at the time. It was really helpful. It helped me to sort of ground and and rest in that. Um, um, bigger, though, than either of those, bigger than my career and bigger than those internal regrets was fears about losing my family. Um, I'd always wanted a family. I'd always wanted a uh, happy, successful, intimate, stable marriage. And I had both of those things. You know, my wife and I, our relationship was really good. Um, it, it was hindered by the fact that my emotions were so stunted because of my um, repression around gender. You know, I wasn't able to be there. You know, when I came out to my wife, um, she she said, um, among other things, but she said, this is the missing piece. I, f I finally understand you. I finally cracked the code. You know, she always felt like there was something going on or something missing or it wasn't. And I like, I never was unfaithful to her. <clears throat> I've never had an affair. I've never had any kind of 
even like intimate relationship with another person. Um, like there, there's never been any infidelity whatsoever on my behalf. Um, but at the same time, there was a part of me that wasn't there. You know, um, there's, um, <clears throat> well, anyway, I, I just wasn't all there. And, um, but yet our marriage was still really good and we really love each other and we know each other so well and respect each other and turn toward each other. And, you know, and the same thing with my kids, they're wonderful. I'm really involved in their lives and you know, the, the cultural model that I was aware of was that trans people, when they transition, they get divorced, you know, because, I mean, my wife is straight. Um, I'm apparently not straight because I'm only attracted to women. Um, and like, you know, why would she want to stay with me if I was going to be a woman? And, um, so I had all these fears and so I needed to attend to that. Like I needed to attend to the losses that I would accrue, uh, the possible losses I needed to grieve. Um, and as it turned out, I didn't lose nearly as much as I thought I would. You know, I did lose my career, but I didn't lose my family. I didn't lose my wife. In fact, my family and home environment is more calm and happy, and beautiful, and understanding, and loving than it's ever been. It's been amazing. Um, you know, I did lose some friends. I lost community. I lost my professional network. I mean, like, the losses have been huge. Um, but in order to make the decision to transition, I needed to attend to those, um, and at least sort of count the cost, to borrow a Christian word, I needed to, to kind of have an idea of how much it was going to cost me to move forward with this. And it's still been incredibly painful and amongst the most difficult grief processes I've ever been through in my life. Um, but I needed to, I needed to work on that. Um, you know, the fourth thing was a, a question I needed to ask um, related to my age which is, had to do with outcomes. Like, is this even possible? Am I too old? Do people do this? Um, what are the outcomes for people who are starting at my age? Is it possible to ever pass? And, you know, like I've mentioned in this program and in previous ones, like the question of passing is sort of its own rabbit hole that I had to deal with. But that was part of this. Like, is it possible? Is it practical? Like, you know, what does feminizing hormone regimen do for um, someone who is 39 or 40 years old? Like, you know, is it, are, am I too far gone? Um, I needed to attend to all sorts of different kinds of fears like that um, to, to go after this. And I guess that's sort of related to the last one, attending to the losses. Um, but for me, um, at the time, at least, I was really concerned with the outcomes. And I sort of needed to have like 
proof in concept. And so I got some wigs, I got some clothes, I started practicing makeup. I I actually for uh quite a few months I was like before we told my kids, I was practicing, I was putting on makeup every night in the bathroom. And so we put the kids to bed, you know, an hour later or whatever, I would do a full face of makeup. Um and put on a dress and, you know, maybe watch a show or something. And then I would take a shower, put it all away, wash it all off and do it again the next night. And, um, you know, the more I practiced, the better I got at it. And the better I got at it, the more girly I felt and the more I loved who I saw in the mirror. And the more, honestly, I saw her, I saw myself. Um, so that was the fourth question. And then the fifth was perhaps the most significant in terms of weight, but also in some ways is the most elusive, you know? Um, so I'm still a spiritual person and I still identify as a Christian or at least someone who, who follows Jesus teachings, um, I don't really, you know, I've kind of been disillusioned by Christian dumb and certainly by evangelicalism. And I'm kind of been coming to terms with the ways in which the church hurt me. And at the same time, I just can't shake belief in God. I just can't shake um, the fact that I'm a spiritual person. I can't stop praying. I can't stop co- like connecting to that part of myself. And, you know, I think that's okay. And I actually think it's like really cool and really beautiful in its own way too, because, you know, I think that a lot of trans people are deeply spiritual. You know, I had my, my gender transition coach used to say that, you know, trans, trans people and maybe perhaps especially trans women are like the most spiritual beings in the world because of our, our way, I don't know, just trans feminine spirituality is, it's a remarkable thing. I, you know, just saying. Um, but so for me, um, feeling like I had God's blessing over transition was really important. And I understand that that's not important to everyone. And perhaps I'll look back in 10 years, years and be like, yeah, that's, I, you know, I believe that because it was rooted in, in, homophobia and transphobia, and it was rooted in my church's retrograde teachings on trans people. Nevertheless, I needed to feel that peace, that blessing that that God was okay with me doing this. And that was a really important step for me. That was a really important element and aspect. Um, the way that I went about that was very similar to the way that I went about um choosing to become a pastor, sort of accessing my, um, my sense of calling to pastoral ministry. Um, you know, sometimes there's different church traditions that call it a discernment process where you go through the process that's intentional, that involves other people, that asks for advice and wisdom, um, and so on. Um, but that comes out with a conclusion at the end that, that this is what it seems like God is trying to do. And so I really needed to have peace with, with that question. I needed to have an answer to it. I needed to 
come to the end and say, yes, I, this is what seems like it's trying to happen. And so I did all kinds of praying and journaling. Um, for many months, I was getting up early, early, early in the morning, and I was journaling and praying uh, to God in written prayers in journals. And at the time, um, my name was an L. I was going by the name May. And um, and so I was writing prayers to God from May in my books. I was writing down things that I felt like I was hearing. I was writing down um, things that I was reading that struck me. I was writing down questions. And all of this was deeply spiritual. It felt like when I was putting it on the page, I was putting it before God. I was putting it um, in front of the Spirit to see and assess and give input on. And, um, and you know, it just was, it sort of felt like, like it does with calling, where it's like this gradual, almost like a snowball that just builds until it fills the whole room. Um, one of the most poignant uh, experiences of that was I was at an all-day pastor's retreat up in the mountains. Well, California mountains, it's like Anyway, up at this state park, up in the hills, you know, 20 minutes up out away from my house. And we had a whole day outside and we were doing a spiritual treat, a retreat. It was still during COVID, um, which is part of why we chose that location outside. And we were, you know, distance and we were trying to do the right thing. And um, that day involved an extended period of time where I was just totally alone walking. And... Um, it was during that day that I was on a hike and I said to God, what do you want to tell me about gender? You know, what do you want to, I want to hear from you about transition. And I, I came around the corner and I entered into the butterfly garden and I didn't know the butterfly garden was there, but it was full of butterflies. And for me, that was the last sign I needed. You know, that was the last confirmation and i just started laughing because i i heard god's voice in that in that answer to prayer i heard god's voice and i heard god saying of course of course be yourself be you you are loved exactly as you are and of course the the, the butterfly is a totem for trans people it's a, it's a symbol of transformation, and it's a symbol of us. I have a butterfly tattoo on my arm that I got shortly after that as a symbol of that moment. Um, and once that happened, it was clear. You know, it, it started to become even like, it started to become something that I knew I needed to do in terms of transition. I knew I needed to transition um, even if I was scared, even if it wasn't guaranteed, even if I had these fears, it was like, I, it was like, it felt like following God. It felt like following a calling. This is what God wants for my life. This is part of why I'm here. I, in fact, I started to believe that God put me on this earth as a trans lady to be trans, to go through this process. Um, that it was like part of my calling in life. Um, and that that gave me incredible peace. It gave me incredible courage. Um, you know, and so 
for me, when I when I think about how did I choose to transition, it wasn't just one thing. It was a whole collection of things. And it was a whole collection of these sorts of things. You know, it was like all together, I was able to have peace about making this decision. But it wasn't until I did all that work and asked all those questions and talked with all those people and did all the journaling and all the counseling and all the book reading and like I needed to do all of that to sort of have peace in my own soul and you know maybe it's a testament to the repression that happened to me as a kid maybe it has to do with my personality maybe it has to do with my trauma I mean I I understand that not everyone is the same way and I understand that that a lot of trans people make the decision a lot more rapidly and maybe a lot, maybe no less deliberatively, but perhaps with like less, you know, churning over it, less hand wringing. But for me, this is what I needed to do. And my hope is that maybe if you have a similar personality to me, sharing sharing some of this will be helpful to you if you're asking these questions, you know. And I hope potentially even if you choose to like ransack some of this and use it for yourself, please do. Um, I, I hope that it's helpful to you. Um, you know, each episode I put the email address um, that I'm using for the show in the show notes. I'd love to hear from you. Um, if there's stuff that you would like to hear a transgender woman talk about, um, I'd be interested to hear it. Um, like I was saying today, um, I wrote down that that I'm going to do an episode in the future about the matrix pill test and how uh, I feel differently about it today than I might have a few years ago. Um, I want to do an episode about um, the, the process of my egg cracking. I want to talk a little bit more about spirituality and trans people. I'm going to talk about um, thinking about doing an episode about uh, you know, stuff I said as a pastor and things I did and said as a pastor and how, um, you know, how some of those still fit, but how some of them don't fit and how I kind of square that circle and make sense of it. Um, but I'd love to hear your thoughts and uh, your input. Um, so thanks again for listening. Uh, once again, I'm L and... I'm a transgender woman talking.